Hello and welcome to the opening bell, the latest edition of the Boxing News Podcast. Once again, it is myself, Matt Christie, and John Denon. Hello. John, you've come into the office this morning um, and <laughs> not alone. You've brought some crutches with you and you're nursing a sprained ankle. Tell us, tell us what happened. Uh, I hurt myself, Matt. I was attempting to exercise and rolled over my ankle. Now, there's been was, there's, there's, there's been a few girls who have kind of been around your desk this morning. Are the crutches strictly necessary? They are strictly necessary, but you're right. Ladies do love cool jokes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's move on. Right, we're going to talk about um, some of the action from last weekend. There was um, two of boxing's more established stars lost in Ricky Burns and Yuri Orkis Gamboa. We'll also talk a little bit about um, the retirement of um, Evander Holyfield. But let's start with um, the show in Glasgow. You were there, John, last Friday. It was a minor upset that Ricky Burns lost and he got off to a horrendous start. As you say in your excellent report, he... he He's not alien to a bad start, but when I was watching it, it didn't really look like he was gonna he was gonna claw it back. No, was, was that was that how it looked to you? Yeah, yeah. And I thought the way he got knocked down that first round, the way he just sort of sagged to the to the canvas, I thought he was I thought he was out. And as the journalist I was sitting next to said he struggled to get to his knees, and um, you know it was a very great, brave, very gallant effort, but. Um, he just he just let far too many shots through. That same left hook kept catching him over and over again. Um, he really suffered in that fight. I thought he was a I thought he was a clear loser. Even though after he sort of got through the, the sort of nightmare opening rounds, he was you know throwing combinations, probably landing quite a lot of shots. But I thought they were the lighter shots. I thought. He'd throw a combination, maybe land a combination. And for me, just his latter cannon coming in and catching him with the big shots and hurting him was, was, was winning his latter cannon the rounds. Um, but it, his latter cannon just didn't look like he was doing anything special, I think. You know, Ricky in his pomp would have, should have dealt with that. And I, I really thought Burns was going to win. I thought he was going to sort of get himself back on track. That was going to be my next question. Do you think this would have happened, say, two, three years ago, the, the Ricky Burns then? But you've just answered that. What's happened to Ricky Burns? You know, I think he's had a really good run. He's been a 2-8 world champion. He's held that title for a long, long time. I think it's just really hard to sustain yourself at that high level. I think it's probably natural to, to decline. Um, so I think it's just... It just seems sort of inevitable, but everyone's time runs out. Not to say, you know, and his promoter Eddie Hamm is saying his future is at or his future is at domestic level now. There's some interesting fights there, but I just think it's hard to to, to come down from world level and to readjust, to, you know, to the British scene. Is is can can you make an argument that? I mean, obviously, it's not Eddie Hearn's fault. Um, but can you make an argument perhaps this was the wrong fight for him? Clearly, his confidence had been affected by a series of subpar performances, 
some of them you can attribute to injury and, and, and what have you. Um, but with hindsight, would it have been better to, to, to bring Ricky Burns in a less high-profile fight, maybe a 10-rounder, and not throw him straight back into a world title eliminator? Maybe. I mean, was it an eliminator or just for a... It was more a ranking fight, wasn't it? Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think it was kind of... But I think if Burns was going to win, he'd, he would have got, he'd, he'd yeah. got the shot, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the guy was dangerous and hard, hard puncher, but he did look... He did look... You know, not not a complicated opponent. He did look someone that you could you know you could straightforwardly outbox. If, mm. if you know if, if you know if you see what I mean. Um, so yeah, obviously with hindsight's a mistake because he lost. But if you if you were thinking of Ricky Burns as a world level operator, and he's had a loss against a classy Terence Crawford, who out you know he really outboxed Burns, didn't beat him up. Mm. Um, then it seemed logical to get him this fight, someone who is beatable, and then get Ricky Burns right back in business. Um, but it just didn't pan out. But, but No, no, I think, I think what you kind of said at the start is true in that Ricky Burns has far exceeded expectations and perhaps... You know, perhaps we should be congratulating him for him for, for, for that incredible run that you just talked about that, yeah. that started with the Roman Mart- Martinez fight. Um, he had a brilliant run with Billy Nelson, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Oh. He did. Did you do you think that there may be he may need to go back to Billy Nelson or? I don't know. I mean, maybe he changed trainers because he was trying to freshen things up, and he kind of been with Tony Simpson for that lot. Mm. So it's hard to sort of blame. You can't really blame his corner, but equally. It's not like Billy Nelson did anything wrong with him. They mm. sort of they overachieved, they overachieved together. Um, move, you know, Burns sort of, you know, moved down five days a week to Essex to train. If he's trying to freshen things up, that seems sensible. But um, it's going to be hard to, you know, to relight that fire, as Gary, Gary Barlow might say. Is that the same lyric you used last week? Yeah. Just followed, yes. Right. Yeah, it's good. No, maybe, no, maybe, 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 you know, have a have a check through the Gary Barlow back catalogue and use different ones each week. Uh, he can rule the world. Can he though? No, in all seriousness, can he? Can he again? Or is he now, as Eddie Hearn says, he is now a domestic level fighter? Do you think there is any way back for Ricky Burns at world level? I don't see it at the moment. Um, you know, that all might change in couple of years if Burns does get himself going again if, if but at the moment I'm not sure which champion he beats to get a world title uh, it's interesting also there's some other fights on the bill obviously um, main support was Curtis Woodhouse against Willie Lamond fairy tale of Curtis Woodhouse cruelly um, cruelly uh, finished by Willie Lamond was Willie Lamond better than people expected? Curtis Woodhouse exposed or somewhere in between? I think Lindon was probably better than expected. Like he boxed really well. His, the way he was moving, really sharp uh, counter punches. It's very hard for, for Woodhouse to deal with. And I think the surprising thing was that uh, Lindon hurt Woodhouse when we thought Woodhouse would probably be yeah. the bigger man. You know, I thought. I thought Woodhouse was kind of competitive in rounds that he was losing. I, you know, I thought Lumen ran away with it really, 
But Woodhouse wasn't boxing badly. He was just being outboxed. You, you, you say that you mentioned about that he wasn't losing badly. There was some curious scores up in Glasgow. Uh, the one that stood out the most for me was in this fight, in that um, Victor Lockman scored 113, 113 draw. Yeah, I couldn't see that. <laughs> no, you couldn't. Yeah. You, from ringside, you could not make an argument for that score. No, no. Um, yeah, not from where I was sitting. I didn't see that at all. I thought Lemon won it, won it handily. I think the, the sort of the, the journalists on either side of me thought, thought, thought the same. What about the score for Burns? There was a score for Burns, wasn't it? 115, 113 in the main event. Was 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 that a bit more justifiable? Um, probably more justifiable. Like I, de- you know, I, de- I think it would have been it would have been a big, you know, it would have been not right to say the least if Burns had got the decision in that fight. But I suppose that's why they're three judges, just to, to get it right in the end. I suppose you could sort of make an argument for Burns, like I was saying before, like if you thought he was landing more punches, but it was it was Lassie Cannon who was doing the damage, and most people uh, in the press seats really thought it was just sliding away away from Burns. But I think you could make an argument for it, but they definitely, but you know, they got the right winner. Okay, back to Curtis Woodhouse. Woodhouse, um, is that the end now? Um, people like him. If Curtis wants to carry on, I think people would watch him. And there have been some... I'm not quite sure where Curtis's Twitter beef with Tommy Coyle came from. <laughs> but then, you know, you'd watch that fight, wouldn't you? Cause of course you would, yeah. Coyle's exciting and vulnerable. Um, so I'm not. Sh- I'm just not sure if he's because he's achieved his dream, which was getting that British title. I wonder if the sort of the motivation is still there. So I think maybe from his personal point of view, he's not. If he's not feeling it anymore, if he doesn't think he's going to win the title again, you know, this fight had the added appeal of the Commonwealth belt as well. From his point of view, maybe maybe he should call it a day. I think there are there are British fights out there to be made for him. Just briefly on for the rest of the bill, um, just pick one. There's a few up and coming fighters, the likes of Scotty Cardle, Callum Johnson, and what have you, on the undercard. Stephen Simmons, um, who impressed you the most out of the out of the chasing pack? Um, you know, Cardle was in a, it was in a good fight for one that he won pretty clearly as in he got he got drawn into a bit of a scrap and I think he's gonna have a, a you know fight on his hands with Kurt Goodings for the English title. But Carlos someone I've sort of known from the amateurs so he's taken a quite a long time to get to, to title level because he turned pro um quite a few you know a few years ago. Um but he's I think he's gonna be exciting to watch. So he caught my eye. It was nice it was nice to see Callum Johnson back in in action. He hasn't fought often, but he's a talent, but again, he's only a sort of four-rounder. Okay, and just a word of congratulations, really, to Joe Gallagher. That's 51 fights his gym has now completed without defeat. That's, that's some run, isn't it? Yeah, it's incredible. I'm not sure what the next nearest record to that is, but it's hard to... You know, and, there've been some, there've been some, and there've been some tough fights within there, like a few yeah. of them have been underdogs, like a crawler. He's come through some wars, hasn't yeah, he, that you wouldn't yeah. expect him to win. Uh, well, it wouldn't necessarily. Quigg's got a, a 
version of the WBA title. Yeah. Um, and Salinas was a, was a hard fight as well. Um, so yeah, it's, an, it's an amazing achievement. Yeah, well done, Joe. He will be in. Uh, he will be featured heavily in boxing news in the coming weeks. Um, right. Okay. So let's move on to another bill over in Omaha, Nebraska, um, where did we see the end of Uriorkis Gamboa? He started brightly against Terence Crawford. He boxed nicely for the first three or four rounds. Um, from my viewpoint, Crawford then switched to Southpaw. There was no way back really for, for Gamboa and he opted to slug it out and he was taken to pieces quite brutally, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, Gamboa started his career with such promise. I think we spoke about it last week. I know for a fact I've, I've, I've spoke about Gamboa on the, on the podcast so many times, perhaps one of the most frustrating. Um, it's not a waste of time. The opportunities didn't seem to present themselves to him. Um, but it's, it, it seems very frustrating to me that we could have seen the best of Gamboa without actually witnessing him in, in any big fights. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like that sort of potentially had when he was tearing through people. Yeah. But he looked far too small, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's very wonderful. Like, if someone's got longer arms or that much longer, it's just, there's nothing. He, I mean, Gamboa must be at the wrong weight. He needs to slim down. He's always, but, even, even, when he, even when he kind of, you know, featherweight, he looked, his arms were always quite short or comparatively yeah. short. Um, okay, so. Do you think this is the end for Gamboa? He said afterwards he would have a rematch if people wanted it. it. Although it was entertaining, it didn't seem the kind of fight to me where a rematch would be a particularly good idea for Gamboa. No, I think there'd only be one winner in the rematch, wouldn't there? Um, I'm not sure it's the end of Gamboa. He needs to move down in weight. But maybe this is, rather than Gamboa being in, you know, in, uh, you know, like an excellent fighter who's you know, beating everyone, Maybe this is him transforming into a TV-friendly fight so mm. he can dish it out, but, but gets punished as well. So I think people will still watch Gamboa after it, yeah. but he's not you know, going to be one of these outstanding Cubans that we thought he would be. No, no, I don't. I don't I th- well, I think almost, almost certainly now. That, as, that aura he had about him yeah. was well and truly been. Because I used to kind of think of, of, of Gamboa, I remember you know, before Pacquiao, Suddenly started moving up to 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 lightweight, like welterweight, welterweight, and what have you. I really put Pacquiao and Gamboa kind of on on a level, really, and and, and the difference in, in where they've both gone is is shocking, really. But that's boxing. As for Terence Crawford, um, exceptional performance. Um, I think I said last week that I I did expect him to beat Gamboa, but I thought he would outbox him. I didn't think he would stop. I didn't think he'd stop the Cuban, but he. He showed different facets to his game. Is he a future star, like a real crossover star? Has he got enough about him for that? Now I think so. I think last week I was quite negative. You know, not, I was pretty negative about Crawford and, and his star potential. But in the fight, he took it up another performance, up another level from the way he beat Ricky Burns. You know, really delivered an exciting finish, and I had no idea he was so um, popular in his hometown. The crowd looked amazing, mm. you know. And if you've got that sort of excitement about you in your first world title defence, it did seem like the uh, 
you know, the, the dawn of a new star, as, as I think we say on the front cover of this week's magazine. No, credit to credit to, to, to Bob Arum and, and, and Top Rank, Top Rank, Top, <laughs> top Rank, <laughs> Top Rank for because that was an incredible for, for a fairly low key champion. That was a that was a big you know big event to to get him as his first his first defence and and like you say Omaha Nebraska you didn't think for a second that something like that would <laughs> yeah. be on there did you? Cause, and when Crawford came over to Glasgow, it was fairly fairly low key. You know, he had his sort of family and training team around him. You know, I didn't spot any American journalists there. And so it's not like there were a lot of people there supporting yeah. him. But, you know, now he is a world champion. He's really made himself a star. Now, there has been rumours and Manny pa- the name of Manny Pacquiao has been thrown around as a potential opponent for Terence Crawford. Um, what do you make of that? What's, is that like, what if Crawford went up to like welterweight? Crawford Pacquiao went up to like down. Pacquiao came down. It's a good fight. Um, maybe they, it seems a bit sort of. Wouldn't they want to sort of just build on what Crawford's got going so far? Um, but yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing that. No, I wouldn't. But I think you're right. I think it's. I think it is too soon. Um, for Crawford for a number of reasons. I'm not saying for one second that I'd completely write him off against Pacquiao. But, you know, if Pacquiao's still going in a year's time, um, Crawford has cemented his status as, as, as one of the best lightweights and he's in a position to move up after after proving himself a lightweight. That fight could be, you know, five times bigger than it would be now. Yeah. Um, and also, there is also the danger that, that Pacquiao would be too good for him. He would overwhelm Crawford. And then Crawford's career, you know, could be, it could be all over effectively because sometimes young fighters don't get over that. But and no, you don't want to waste what Crawford's got now, like he's in a great position. Exactly, exactly. I, but I'll be, you know, Crawford certainly, and it's always good to see these these fighters put on performances like that. As, as sad as it was to see Gamboa beaten like that, you know, there was there was a sense that we were witnessing the, the, the advent of something special in Crawford. Um, speaking about the advent of something special, We'll go to the end of Evander Holyfield. He announced his retirement at the age of 51. Hasn't fought since 2011. But he had been making noises since then that he was still intending to fight. He always, not always, but for the last few years, he's had it in his head he would like to fight a Klitschko. He's at last given up on that dream. Thankfully, he's given up on that dream. Um, I spoke to him on Monday, um, and it's the first time I've spoke to him where I did get a sense that that is it from him. The the results of that interview are in this week's um, issue. Um, what was he like on the phone? What was his he was mood? He was very he was he was chirpy. Um, I think the, the the one thing that I was the most pleased about was that. He sounded optimistic about the future, um, and you know his his money woes are no secret. Um, you know he admitted that those he's he's not a rich man. You know he's still got money issues, but he's over the worst, and he's learned from his mistakes. Um, and he was a just he's, he's he's always he's always a pleasure to speak to. Um, but what what does I mean? Were you a fan of of, of Evander Holyfield 
as you were as you were as you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, I liked Lennox Lewis when I was young, but I know you know you Holyfield's he's, he's a modern legend, isn't he? Yeah, it's just it's it, the money woes you mentioned. It's sad, really, because if anyone deserves to to be to retire a wealthy man after everything he did, it's Van der Holyfield. Um, but it was, it was quite, it was, it was quite sad speaking. Not, not sad, but he kind of mentioned and he was talking about, because he previously, I think the last time I spoke to him was, or the last time I spoke to him at length was about two years ago. And it was kind of around the time where he was really struggling to keep a lid on his financial situation. At that point, he was still in denial about the whole thing. He's saying, no, I'm not as rich as I used to be, but I'm still a rich man. Um, but he was very, very open, and he said that the problems really with his with his finances dated back to 1996, um, when his uh, mum passed away. He said she was previously she would look after all his accounts. You know, she would deal with who who needed to be paid, who would be paying him. And he said once once his mother had passed away, his finances just really just went to pot. Um, so it did date back as far as 1996. Um, it's a happy ending that he's no longer fighting because that well, was the worrying thing at his age and still, you know, chasing this impossible dream. You, yeah, definitely, and that was that was always the worry. And it's not as if Holyfield went through, like, okay, he's what two years older than Bernard Hopkins, but Hopkins was very much a different fighter to Holyfield. Holyfield won more than he lost, but I mean, even as far back as. You know, you go back to, all the way to 1986 when he beat Dwight Mohamed Kawi for the for the WBA cruiserweight title, and he went through hell to win that title. That was a grueling a fight, as you'll see. And throughout his career, he went through war after war after war after war. And you do worry that you know naturally you worry that they may have an effect in the future. But I was happy to report that you know he was he was sharp he was in good spirits and there's at the moment there's no sign that his career has had a negative effect on him and if he walks away from the sport now healthy and he remains healthy then he can look you know he, well, he, whatever happens he can look back on on it with pride but um it was always concerning when you'd speak to him he'd be like no I want to fight the Klitschko's and I think really if he was honest with himself the only reason he would entertain fighting someone like Vladimir Klitschko at his time of life would be for the financial reward. Um, but yeah, no, Evander Holyfield, growing up, big fan. What was your favourite performance? Would it be the Mike Tyson performance? Well, I thought it sort of it sort of summed up what he was all about, you know, the, the, the smaller man just refusing to be bullied, yeah. standing up to the bigger guys. That's what sort of was so great about him. That's made him such a... That's what sort of what caught the imagination about him. So, yeah. Yeah, and that was that was Holyfield's. What he said was his, you know, his most special night was that night where, as he put it, he got the monkey off his back, um, and he beat Mike Tyson. Because of course, Holyfield's early heavyweight career was overshadowed by Mike Tyson, who'd recently lost to Buster Douglas. Then Holyfield, when Holyfield took the title from Buster Douglas, he was very much viewed as a an imposter almost into the Mike Tyson um, reign of terror. And he eventually did, five or six years later, beat Mike Tyson. Um, anyway, we'll leave that at that with Evander Holyfield. Everyone's going to remember the bite. Of course they are. Of course, of, of course they are. And I think that was also, and even after, even after when he beat Tyson the first time, 
there were still people saying that was a fluke, wasn't it? And then he went back and he proved even in that short period of time, and people can mention the fact that he used his head. I don't think anybody can deny that he used his head illegally in that fight. But ultimately, he did what he had to do, and he broke Mike Tyson. And yeah. I think the result of that was his chewed ear. Yeah, that's shame. <laughs> Um, okay, so there is some heavyweight. There's not really much going on this weekend that we we can talk about. Um, but the, the main noteworthy fight is um, in heavyweights is Chigaev Frey Wendo. Have you got any interest in that, John? No, big fight in Grozny. I, just, I can't. But like, why is that? Why is the WBA recognising that? I don't know. It's like. Um, well, it's, it's, I think the WBA, and I know we do say we, we try not to go too far down the politics route on this podcast because it can get depressing and it can get confusing. But for me, the WBA are the worst defenders for multiple champions in that there's three per division. WBC, I'm not saying are angels at all with their silver titleist and what have you, but at least... It, it, at least they don't call everyone a world champion. You know, there's, it's, it's, it was bad enough when there was just three governing bodies, the WBC, the WBA, the IBF, but now all these governing bodies have got multiple champions themselves. It can make an impossible sport to follow. Yeah. And of all the sort of good, heavy, decent heavyweights that are out there at the moment, Kwanon Chigayev is not, oh, exactly. not a big yeah, fight. I know, I know. If you look at when was the last time Chigayev beat a rated fighter, it would have been, I think, you'd go back to like 2007, something like that. Aquendo, I'm, I'm not even sure he has beaten a rated fighter, has he? Um, Clifford Etienne, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but okay, so anyway, let's talk about something else that's in the magazine this week, and it is a very warming tale of a very popular family, um, and it's you got to speak to the Smith brothers, who, for each of them at the moment, their their career is is on the up. You would say, yeah. Um, and it's 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 a great story, isn't it? It is. It is. But it's just like at this moment in time, they're on the up. But they've had a lot of ups and downs along the way, even in their amateur careers. You know, in fact, you know, getting robbed at Olympic qualifiers and yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, Liam's early professional career was difficult, but now they're all flying with uh, potential world title fights coming up. Did you, when you spoke to Paul, did you um, did you mention that your dream fight for next year was Carl Froch Paul Smith? I did not mention that, but I mean that goes without saying. <laughs> like it's, no, I was just saying it's not beyond the realms of possibility. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. It's absolutely not. Like if Paul goes over there and beats Abraham. Then you've got a big British fight. And as far as I know, I think that fight, I'm not sure if it's signed and sealed yet, but it's looking like September 27th for Paul yeah. Smith. I was in hospital last night, so I missed out on all this excitement. But it's it's looking likely. Um, so, uh, yeah, to, to speaking about, I, I don't completely, I mean, Paul will start, I think, as a massive underdog. I don't, I don't, uh, to me, that's it's, it's, it's a winnable fight for Paul Smith. What do you think? Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with you in that he, you know, on paper he's a he's a big underdog, but I just don't think it's mission. I don't think it's mission impossible. And if you're going to fight for a world title, and you're a super middleweight, Arthur Abraham at this moment in time is probably the one you want. Abraham's dangerous, mm. but he can be outboxed. 
Yeah. Um, so it's, it, you know, it could well actually turn into an exciting, you know, it could be an exciting fight to watch as well. So why not, why not go for it? Now they've all, um, they were all asked um, who's the best pound for pound Smith and they were quite diplomatic really in the, in, in the answers. Um, for you, at this moment in time, who is the best pound for pound Smith? I mean, I've sp- I've probably seen a l- I've seen a lot of Callum through the amateurs as well, and it was you know he was really he was really unlucky but really good you know he, he was welterweight went up to middleweight very unlucky in the draws he was getting at tournaments then went up to light heavyweight at the last minute for an Olympic qualifier so he was much lighter and then he was out you know much much lighter than the guys he was boxing and just outboxing them. And, you know, you, you hear about robberies, but his robbery to not qualify for the Olympics, like, you know, there was only one guy hitting the other guy in the face, and that was Callum hitting, like, be, like not beating up the Azari, which was a big lump, but clearly outboxing him. Um, and, and Callum's gone on to adapt to professional boxing really well. I didn't realise he was such an explosive puncher. Um, so... I'd go with Callum to say the best pound for pound or the best potential, but he's got a long way to go. I remember Frotch, Frotch and Callum have sparred and, and Frotch was raving about Callum Smith some time ago, I think perhaps even before he did, he did turn over. Is, do, do you think he can, I mean, from what I've seen of him, he does look like he's got everything required um, but very often prospects do at this stage, don't they? Yeah, and every prospect is going. It has a fight where they don't perform that well, or it's harder than expected. And you know, you sort of, you know, people sort of rave about them, don't forget about them because there's always, a, you know, there's always a new prospect coming up. So it, everyone's going to have a tough fight sooner or later. Um, but so far, Cam's doing business. But who's your favourite Smith? That's what, that's what I should have asked. What? Well, who's mine? Yeah. And who's the worst Smith pound for pound? That's a difficult question, isn't it? I would struggle to pick a worse Smith. Paul is obviously... <laughs> All right. <laughs> Paul has probably achieved the most, would that be fair to say? I would say that, yeah. Um, and it looks like he'll be the first to get a world title shot. I've been impressed with the way that Stephen Smith came back from a potentially devastating loss to Lee Selwood because that knockout was, it was heavy, it was brutal. I was there for that. Um, Liam Smith, I would say, is probably the most improved in terms of his professional journey. I remember being very unconvinced by him. And I think actually it was on the Ricky Burns, Roman Martinez undercard. I think he struggled to a draw against somebody he was expected to beat and I didn't really think that Liam Smith would be going very far at all, yeah. but he's really turned his career around and he's also kind of knocking on the door of world level. Um, and as for everything I've seen from Callum has, has really, really impressed me. How's that? Is that all right? You should be a politician. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, I'm, you think Paul's the worst Smith? No, didn't say that. Who's didn't your, say that. Right. Who's your favourite Smith? I don't, I don't. We don't have favourites, John. Oh, you're good, man. <laughs> you're good. Okay, so um, I think that brings us to just over 
half an hour. Um, next week, we will be, all being well, we will be recording the podcast um, slightly earlier, so you will be able to download it, I would imagine, on a Tuesday or Wednesday at the latest. So you will have it a little bit earlier in the week. For those of you out there who have noticed a slight glitch in on our website, um, we did have a few problems moving it from um, one platform to a superior one, but that does all seem to be resolved now, and that website should be up and running next week. Um, anything else you'd like to add, John? Anything interesting going on?